All right, a little extra excitement this morning. That was wonderful. At uh, Christmas time, we are not alone in this uh, in the tradition of reflecting on the prophecy that was given that a virgin would be would give birth to a son who would be called Emmanuel. And when that prophecy is introduced in the New Testament, uh, we are told that Emmanuel means God with us, as if to signify that. It's what that name means that is what is really important. But we often don't think about the significance of Emmanuel and where that came from. And so what we've been doing through this series is looking at passages in, in, uh, in the lead up to the, its fulfillment that give us a picture of how they would have understood that name, Emmanuel, and what God was intending to communicate to us through it. Uh, this morning's passage teaches that Emmanuel means that God's grace can flow through us. The children's uh, musical this morning, their, their, their two little choirs uh, reminded us that music is a big part of Christmas and music can be very powerful. Uh, some of you have talked to me about how uh, godly music often lifts your spirits and, and does something for you spiritually and can be an incredible encouragement to you. So music is powerful. I, I read an interview with Hungarian composer uh, Georgi Kurtag, and he said, consciously, I am certainly an atheist. But he said, I do not say it out loud, because if I look at Bach, I cannot be an atheist. Then I have to accept the way he believed. His music never stops praying. A Bach fugue has the crucifixion in it. My brain rejects it all, but my brain isn't worth much. Even as you hear him, him describing his relationship to the music there, he, he, he's struggling inside. Four years of communism have all but stamped out any uh, possibility of him in his mind believing in God, and yet there's something in the music of Bach that that draws him, that won't let go of his heart and seems to almost haunt him. As, as I think of his, uh, the compliment that he plays, I, he, he gives to Bach, I can't think of any greater thing that you could say to an artist. His music never stops praying. Wouldn't you love people to, to say that about what you do? I, I'd love people to say that about my preaching. His preaching never stops praying. His, maybe they say that about your, your artwork. Her, her artwork never stops praying. But of all of the things that we do, his emails never stop praying. The way, the way that person leads or organizes or administrates never stops praying. It, it's almost as if it has the cross in it. That there's something about the fragrance of Christ, the goodness of God that just flows out through the things that that person does. That, that, that is something of a, a, a testimony here that Gyorgy Kurtag feels, but it's something that is available to all of us because of Emmanuel. It's part of the promise of Jesus' coming and what he seeks to do in our lives, and it's part of that promise that is highlighted in this morning's, in this morning's passage 
showing us not only how Emmanuel uh, allows God's grace to flow through our lives, but uh, gives us some understanding of, of exactly how that works. And so I want to encourage you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'll be reading verses 14 to 23. The Black Church Bible's on the rack under the seat in front of you. It's on page 224. 1 Samuel 16, verses 14 to 23. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a, a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, to his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. This is the word of God. Now the first thing that we need to take away from this passage is understanding something about what's happening in Saul's life here. And the message is that a person with their back towards God will face the darkness. That God is like the sun, and so when you turn from him, you face into the shadows, and there is a, a spiritual darkness that will affect us in different ways. A person with their back to God faces the darkness. Now, verse 14 opens the scene with the ominous words, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Saul is Israel's king. And when he became king, God uh, put his spirit upon him to carry out his purposes. So he was a king that had been uh, anointed by God and given God's spirit, God's help, God's provision to carry out God's purposes. God's empowering presence, for instance, enabled him to rally the nation. He led them in battle. They, they were able to push back their enemies. He was God's man for the moment. All of that was, unfortunately, until he turned his back on God. He came to that point in his life where he decided he was fearing people's opinion, fearing what people might say, decided to do what he thought uh, might best get him through that moment rather than what God had said was true. And so he rejected God's will, he rejected God's word, went his own way, and it was at that point that God rejected him as king. Now, the fact that he rejected him as king didn't mean that he wasn't king anymore. He, he continued to, to serve as king for another, uh, more than a decade. 
but he did so without God with him, without God's enabling spirit, without God's help and provision. He was to carry out this task, which was a huge task in leading God's people, but he didn't have God's spirit enabling him to do it. And so Saul is a man who will do a job that he can't do. He doesn't have the strength to do. He doesn't have the help to do. And so he spins his wheels. He's treading water. He is, he's like the, the, uh, the, the man in the, in, in, in the Greek myth where uh, the, Zeus condemns him to be pushing a boulder up a hill only to have it roll back down again and to do so for eternity. That's, that's Saul. Saul is, is trying to carry out his tasks but without God's help, without God's provision, without God's spirit, and feels the, the weight of that. David feared all that. David would see all that. He saw what took place in Saul's life. And he feared that. When he himself became king and sinned with Bathsheba, having witnessed what happened to Saul, he asked and pleaded with God that this, he would not walk down that same path. He would not feel the same uh, consequences. In Psalm 51.11, he famously prayed, Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. The issue isn't whether David will somehow lose his salvation or not. The, the question here is, will he share Saul's fate? Will he lose God's enabling presence to do the work that he's been called to? Will he, will he be put in that position of having to do work that he has no power, no resources, no strength to do because God has withhold, withheld it? And so he prays, yeah, take, take not your Holy Spirit from me. I, I need him to accomplish uh, the purposes that you've called me to. David repents. He receives God's mercy. Saul goes the opposite direction. He hardens his heart, and he holds on to his sin. And in doing so, he is made to feel the consequences of holding on to your sin. Verse 14 says, a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. What we learned from Adam and Eve when they sinned was that when we sin, what we are really doing is, is, is throwing our lot in with a snake. And we are inviting darkness. We are inviting evil into our lives, and we will feel the effect of that, the impact of that. The New Testament delivers a similar message. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, for instance, says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. At that word opportunity, some of you will have uh, the word foothold. Some of you will have uh, uh, place. It, it, it's just the, the, the Hebrew word, for, or here, the, uh, uh, the Greek word for place. It's don't give him ground. Don't give him a a, a, a beachhead for uh, impact or influence in your life. And it's a reminder to us that, that, that sin is never just about kind of getting a little bit, making some kind of ethical error of some kind. It, it's not that clinical. 
It's reminding us that, that the steps that we take either towards God or away from him, uh, they, are, they are a part of a spiritual battle that is play, being played out. And we are either giving ground or taking ground spiritually, and we will feel the, the impact of that. We will feel darkness being either invited into our lives or pushed back from our lives. And we realize that the, the that giving ground to Satan has consequences. Now, maybe some of you are thinking at this point, Paul, we just saw those cute kids, and they were singing, and it was, I, was, I was kind of feeling in the Christmas spirit, and this all feels so very depressing. But what this passage does is it gives us the, the diagnosis. It starts with uh, some of the, uh, the, the darkness that we might see the light. It is diagnosis that points to the cure. And, and I say that because in verse 14, it starts with the spirit of the Lord departing from Saul, bad news, and it ends in verse 23 with the harmful spirit departing from Saul. Probably not a coincidence that those two things are lined up at the very beginning and the very end of the passage. And what happens in between is that Saul has an encounter with a man that, of whom it says the Lord was with him. We see what Emmanuel can do in a person whose heart is gripped by God, who is given over to him, and whose spirit God is working through. And so that brings us to uh, the, uh, our, our second point, and it's that a person who is gripped by God reflects the light. I think, honestly, that Saul experiences with David a little bit what Gheorghe Kurtag experiences with the music of Bach. There is some spiritual light illuminating his darkened heart, and he feels the relief of that. He feels the power of that. A person who's gripped by God will reflect the light. Now, when Saul's servants see him suffering, they decide to send someone to see who, who, could, who could bring relief to him, who, who might be able to minister to him. And one of the servants feels like, we have the person. Uh, we, we've, we've, got, we've got the person that you need. And verse 18 describes him. It says, behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who was skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. He says a lot of flattering things about David, but how about that last one? The Lord is with him. Wouldn't you love people to say that about you? Like, it's not as if David has this, like, listed on his, his dating profile or his business card, you know, these are kind of some of my skills and qualities. Oh, the Lord's with me. Like, people just saw that in him. They could recognize that there was something at work in his life that could only be explained by God. That the Lord was at work in his life. The Lord was present in his life. There's spiritual blessing that people could sense. But that spiritual blessing, it, it wasn't manifest in an easy life because David's life for many, many years would not be easy. It was a sense that God was using him, that God was at work in him. 
You could feel it in what he did. And it's something that gets repeated about David again and again through his life. 1 Samuel 18, 14, for example, it says, David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. Here, the success isn't that he, he got automatic promotions, lots of money, and he was driving a, a, a Cadillac. It was the, the sense, biblically speaking, success is God enabling you to do what he has created you to do. It is, if we, if we say that Saul was that person who was pushing the boulder up the hill only to have it come, come down again on him for his, uh, the, the rest of his, his life, the success being described here of David is the success of a person who can roll the boulder up the hill and see it over the other side. God enables you to accomplish what he's called you to do. With Saul, it meant David's music ministered light to his darkness. It was able to lift the heaviness, bring relief where he felt a lack of it. Verse 23 says, Whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Saul experienced relief, felt the cloud lift, the heaviness was, uh, was, was relieved. He felt the harmful spirit depart. And again, many of you experienced this. Many of you have, have found in, in godly music or in godly fellowship, you've found with, with reflecting on God's word, on turning to God himself, that you feel the, the, the weight being lifted. You feel the air being cleared. And it is not a, uh, something that you can touch. It's not something that you can explain logically. But there are spiritual forces in our world. And we feel the power of them. God is using David to draw Saul to repentance. He's like a flashlight pointing to the source of light. And what you see is, what, is that when God is with you, you might do some of the same things that other people do but there is spiritual power in them. There is a sense that God uses it to, to stir people's souls, to bring people relief, to point people to hope. And so we learn that with, when God is with us, there is spiritual power flowing through us. And this has always been how God has worked. Throughout the Old Testament, we, we, we kind of think, well, maybe this is just a New Testament idea, and, and certainly it does get intensified in the New Testament. But throughout the Old Testament, you have these, these reminders that this is how God carries out his purposes. God is described as being with people. Uh, he's described as being with Jacob. He's described as being with Joseph with Samuel, and each time the implication is he is with them, God's spirit comes upon them to carry out his purposes, to use them for his glory, to push back the darkness. That happens throughout the Old Testament with specific individuals upon whom God places his spirit, but then there's his prophecy in Isaiah 7.14. The prophecy is that there will, be, there will be someone who will come and his life, his identity will so reflect the presence of God 
that he will be called Emmanuel. People will use that name to refer to him because he will so embody this sense of being light to the darkness, empowering people to carry out his, his will. He will be God with his people. And not only will he do that in his life, very, very literally becoming the God-man, fully God, fully man, dwelling with his people. Not only will he do that, but through his death and resurrection, he will be able to give of his presence in, his, in a way that his followers will be filled with his spirit and used of him to bring light to a broken world. That's why he says in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always to the end of the age. And he promised that his followers would receive power from the Holy Spirit. That because God is with us through, the, through Jesus and through the power of his spirit, we are able to push back spiritual darkness in our world. With Emmanuel, we can minister light where there is darkness. And the message is that that's what God wants to do in our lives. When we, when we talk about Emmanuel, we are recognizing that God is with us. It, it, it is a message that God wants to use us. God wants to shed, show, show his light through our lives. That he wants to use us to push back darkness, to minister light. He wants your life to be like music that's constantly praying. He wants you to do work, to do service with the cross in it. To so reflect the, the fragrance of God that there is something that can be felt spiritually in your presence. And if it's going to be said about us that our, our, our emails are constantly praying or our, 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 our work is, uh, has the cross in it, then it probably means that we should be praying a bit, right? It probably means that that, that communion with God and a recognition that God is with us should be a part of our, our, our just daily awareness. We should recognize God's presence with us. We should remind ourselves of Emmanuel, that we might be Emmanuel to the world around us. C.S. Lewis said, God seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He said, he commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye. Creation seems to be delegation through and through. When you hear that and you recognize this is an essential part of what it means for Jesus to be Emmanuel, that not only did he come into this world, but he continues to be God with us to all who follow him. And, and what God with us means is that God wants to use us to push back spiritual darkness, to be light, to be the fragrance of Christ. And so as you walk into your workplace, as you interact with family, as you speak with neighbors, Bring God with us to them. Be something of the, of the fragrance of Christ to them. 
I read once of Elizabeth Dole talking about her grandmother. This, this stood out to me because it's so different than people normally think. She, she wrote this, when it became necessary for her in her 90s to go into a nursing home, she welcomed the opportunity saying, there might be some people there who don't know the Lord and I can read the Bible to them. That's not how people think. Most people are thinking about my needs and what I'm, what's going to make me most comfortable and what I want and what I deserve. And yet, when there's a recognition that God is with us, God is, is with me, God is, God's hand is upon my life, it gives you an understanding that there, is, that there are spiritual realities around me. God, God wants to work through me, and he can use me in, in whatever circumstances I find myself. David... He was a servant. David could have said, look, Saul, you're yesterday's man. I'm, I'm clearly God's choice now. And so, you know, I kind of thinking I wanted to maybe move into the palace and maybe you could, I, I think I should probably have a bigger room than you, frankly. I, I think I deserve a few perks. I think I should enjoy some special privileges. I, I, I think that I... I think that I've earned that because clearly, look at me. The Lord's with me. People say it. People recognize it. And yet that wasn't David's position. Knowing that the Lord was upon him, he felt that the best thing that he could do was to play the part of a servant. If the king has has a, a spiritual cloud on him, I'll play him some music. I'll be the guy who comes at, at his beck and call to play some music, to, to bring spiritual light, to bring the fragrance of Christ. That's not beneath me. That's not, that, that's not something that I, I, I'm going to uh, grasp at my privileges. I want to show him a little bit of a manual. And that's the calling that's, that's given to each of us this Christmas. When we, you hear that word, Emmanuel, when you hear people talking about, uh, about Emmanuel, it's a recognition, not only is that uh, something, a, a recognition that God came into this world fully human, fully God, but it is also an invitation an invitation to all who follow him that we can be filled with his spirit, that, that, that God with us can be our reality. And it's an invitation to look to those opportunities. How can I, how can I serve? How can I be a channel of his grace? How can God with me be reflected in my relationships, in the way I work, the way I create, the way that I go about my life. Because our world is in darkness. We feel the pain of what Saul was going through and we want to be those who would be used by God to push it back, to bring light, to lift the darkness. Let's ask him for the strength to do that. Oh, Heavenly Father, it's amazing that you're a God who wants to be with us. 
When we push you out of our lives, we feel the darkness that tormented Saul. The thoughts overwhelm, and the evil gains ground in our hearts. And so I pray for anyone feeling that spiritual weight this morning. Shine your light into their hearts. Refresh them, set them free. And Father, use us as instruments of your light. Help us to steward the spiritual power that you've entrusted to us. Give us a heart to serve and to minister to those in darkness. And as we do, glorify Emmanuel in our midst. For we ask you in Jesus' name.